You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. So I have a message that I want to share with you that he showed me because I was preparing one day and he began to talk to me about discouragement. And I realized, as I often point to the fact that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers, he's an example that we follow. And he confronted issues here on earth while he was here, and he went through things that we all go through, but he managed to not sin, he managed to conquer all those things. And I started thinking about, when did I ever, and the question that begun the process of developing this message was, when was Jesus ever discouraged? So I started thinking about it. Well, he was challenged to be discouraged, but I couldn't think of any moments that he was ever discouraged. How can you discourage Jesus? You might disappoint him. And I think he's often disappointed with uh, some of our failings, and I'm going to prove that in the message that that's a fact. But discouraging, that's different. But we often wrestle with discouragement. Things in life cause us to, to lose heart, to become discouraged, even bring us into fits of mild or major depression issues in our life. But in thinking about Jesus and realizing that he had, he had more reasons to be discouraged than anybody. I mean, his entire life was discouraging if you were sent to be Jesus and live his life and walk that path Every time he woke up, he was confronted with things that should have discouraged him, but he was not discouraged. So I started thinking and asking, well, why is it? What was his secret? Why could he be like this? And I found some really simple, practical answers that I want to share with you tonight about discouragement. Amen? So why don't we start by reading Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood... He too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, flesh and blood people. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, this word tempted simply means tested, uh, tried, put in a balancing scale. And, uh, and this is exactly what life does. In life, we're always going to come across these issues and problems. But we begin to see the nature of Christ here. We are the flesh and blood children, but he shared our humanity. We know this, but I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it so eloquently to understand what Jesus did in his role, the power that he had, because the devil carried the power of death, but Jesus 
reigned victorious over that as we just celebrated Easter. We talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and we know Jesus won that victory. So he frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, before we meet Jesus, our greatest fear is death. And we know that death is coming, and we know that sickness and disease can kill us, and we know that accidents can happen. But the Bible talks about the fact that the power of death was broken. The psalmist says, death, where is your sting? Where is that, the bitterness and the fear that once ruled me? Because when we come into an understanding of resurrection, we come into an understanding of the King of Kings, the Lord of glory, who did what he did, then we understand that really death is no big deal to him. Uh, when death was an issue with Mary and Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet he will live. So that even when we walked in our sins and death, Jesus came to pay for us so that when we believe we come out of death, we pass out of judgment and death into life. And Jesus gives us to us. And he went through everything we went through on purpose so that he could properly represent us. He had to be a representative. He had to atone for us in his physical body, but also he had a role to play that extended beyond death, burial, and resurrection, and that is intercessor. Uh, after the order of Melchizedek, a high priest. The high priest, of course, in analogously speaking, the high priest was one that officiated before God on behalf of the people and took sacrifices and he burnt incense and he offered these sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. But he's the only one that had the right to go into the presence of God as he did. In fact, the, whole, the highest priest, the high priest, only one time a year, only he could go into what was the holy of holies. And it was, of course, uh, an, a dangerous task. That's why tradition tells us they used to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest in case he died inside. They could drag him out. Because they didn't want to go in the holy of holies. Because to go into the holy of holies, they would die. There's such a holy and a perfect present God in his glory inside. But Jesus, of course, he entered into a temple, not on earth, but in eternity, the Bible says. And he did all this to be this priest. So how could he ever speak on our behalf to the Father if he didn't know exactly what we're going through? Uh, how would he ever be able to say, I understand? How would he ever be able to empathize or say, I get it. I know what they're going through. Uh, I know the old expression, until you walk around in another man's shoes, you don't understand their heart. You don't understand what they're going through. If I could somehow take your mind and your heart and put it inside of myself, because the Bible says only the heart knows its own bitterness, then I would start to feel your anguish, your difficulties, the trials of life. All of us are going through something at one time or another. Some have uh, more torturous pasts. But whatever the case, there is nothing that you have been through or going through or will ever go through that Jesus cannot understand. Because he came and experienced it all. That means that he was confronted with all of the same issues that we are confronted with. It says in chapter 4 of Hebrews verse 15 that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, this is not saying, I didn't sin and you did, but he was 
with an advantage that we don't have. He was inherently pure because he was the son of Almighty God. And so he did not, he was not born in sin like we are born in sin. So there was no ever-present predilection within him to do the wrong thing. In fact, quite the opposite. It was natural for him not to, but that does not mean that he was not tempted. We know that the devil took him into the wilderness and tempted him, just like all of us can be tempted. And he had to confront issues his entire life. But he never sinned. Let us then, and what this means in the Greek is, because of this fact, then we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence. The confidence comes from the fact that Jesus understands everything. If I want to talk to you about an issue in my life, let's say that I have a problem and I'm wrestling with it, a certain sin or difficulty and I'm embarrassed but I need to talk to somebody I would probably want to seek out somebody that I know has done what I am going through or even worse why because they'll be more empathetic they'll be more sympathetic to my cause if I say uh, I have this issue in my life this problem in fact I have a friend of mine that I used to like to talk to because he was pretty much he did just about everything wrong that a person can do in their life and so I love talking to him when I had problems because nothing I could tell him would make him think oh no he would always say oh that's nothing and consoled me with the fact that I, when I was your age or when I, and he would tell me, and it always made me feel better. So he knew what I'd been through, but yet God brought him through to make him a man of God, became an elder in a church, doing a great work for Jesus, later a missionary, still out there serving God. So he was someone I could approach with confidence because I knew that there was not going to be any judgment. But that he would accept me as I am and help me. He was going to give me some sound advice so that I could get past the hurdles or the obstacles of, and the difficulties of my life. So then I can approach with confidence. For what? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You're not going to live in your time of need forever, but when you're in that time of need, it's good to be able to understand that Jesus has no judgment for you. He has sound advice and help because he confronted issues in life, but yet made it through. So faced Jesus did all these obstacles of life, just like we do each day. Uh, for him really to truly atone for us, he had to go through this. And he lived just as we do, same limitations, same distractions, but he made it. So as Jesus demonstrates for us the perfect example of man, we can learn from that example. So specifically focusing on discouragement, I want us to examine Jesus in various scenarios in the Word of God, in the Gospels, as he faced problems and disappointments, but overcame them. He overcame them all, of course. And we can learn from what Jesus did to conquer discouragement. Now, I divide this teaching up into really two main themes over four categories. And when I teach preaching, I always talk about preaching should have a problem and a solution that we have an introduction where we introduce problems and solutions. Well, our, I'm doing that for you now in keeping with my own homiletics or my own uh, Bible education. I will, in this introduction, tell you that we have problems. Our problem is discouragement, that we will be discouraged at times. The solution is copy Jesus. 
So if we can look at Jesus when dealing with issues and see some simple answers, then we can kind of learn from him on what we should do in these four categories of discouragement to overcome. So we're going to have to overcome these things, and with God's help, we can do it. Amen. How many of you are interested in this message? Father, we ask that you would help us as we read this information, as we study the life of your son Jesus, an outstanding, shining example of someone that dealt with life and lived it right. Um, we know that we too can do the same. With your help, with your assistance, with your grace, and we might have to go back to the grace store often, that is your throne, the throne of grace. We might have to go daily because the mercy is new every morning, but we know we can do it. And so teach us, Lord, teach us tonight about how to walk through discouraging times and the discouragements of life in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will prepare you for something before we go into this. All of these discouragements really revolve around people <laughs> because people are the greatest source of discouragement in our life. Uh, if we lived on a mountaintop all alone, uh, it'd be harder to be discouraged. We might get lonely, but not as discouraged. But people are very good at disappointing and discouraging and causing problems. And that's exactly where we find the same issues with Jesus. And part of Jesus' solution, we will see, is knowing limitations. But I'm going to start with the first one, and that is uh, people disappointing you. How many of you have been disappointed by people? in your life? That's a stupid question. It's a rhetorical question, really. I mean, I know somebody uh, has disappointed you. Uh, if you're married, I guarantee your spouse has disappointed you. At some point or another, they did something that, that if you have a mother and a father, I'll guarantee you at some point you were discouraged or disappointed by something they did. Uh, if you have children, then it is multiple times each day that they do something that will make you disappointed in them. Of course, we're careful about the way we express that. Uh, the older generations were not as careful. They didn't have the enlightenment of today's psychology. So like my grandfather would call me stupid all the time. And it was just, that's just the age they were in. So like, you're so stupid, you'd mess up cornflakes. That was one of his regular things. He would say, he also would occasionally say when I disappointed him, you know, you're so dumb, you don't know how to boil water. He like things that were so demeaning and, and strike against me from the time I was a little child. Like, you know, I couldn't swim, for instance. And when he realized I couldn't swim, it wasn't like, well, you know, grandson, we can help you to swim. He says, who's so stupid they can't swim? You know, it's like, it was always... Because, you know, he was in the Second World War. He, he went through another age. The, they did not have the books and the education that we have today. And frankly, I don't know if we're any better for it today than they were then. Because something about the, the aggression and the way they spoke to us, it just, we survived it, didn't we? Here we are. I can make cornflakes. And I do know how to boil water. And I can swim. So all those things that disappointed people, I got over them. But in this particular case, we're going to look at Jesus, because that's our subject, and people disappointing Jesus as a representative of people disappointing us. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. 
Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, we know this is a very difficult time. This, If you're ever going to be discouraged, it's at a moment when you're facing this torturous process that he was about to go through. And we just read this, of course, we passed Easter and we saw the idea of what he went through. He's trying to say, if it's possible, I'd rather not have to do this. But he's still having to confront this. But the good thing is he's got people that love him. He's got people around him there to support him. He's built up kind of a, an infrastructure of people. He has an inner circle. He's got Peter, James, and John there. And so in this moment of duress and difficulty in his life, he has called upon them to be his support structure on earth. And this is what they do. He returned his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Now we start by seeing disappointments. He appointed them to watch and pray. Before they ever went, come with me. He brought all of them in, all 12 of them to the garden. But if you remember, he left one group of them and then he took Peter, James, and John a little further. So he had his base team of nine of them at that time, only eight of them, because Judas was off doing his Judas thing. And then he took the three, Peter, James, out a little further because those are the rock hardcore disciples that are going to walk with him through this. And of course, he already knew. He had already said when they said, we will suffer, we will go with you, we will do. And he said, no, no, you're going to all fall away this night. So Jesus had to confront this, that Perhaps sometimes in life you have had someone that you were depending upon for something, but they let you down. I'm not asking you to raise your hand because I know every hand would go up. Somebody you thought would be there for you to give you what you needed and to help you uh, let you down. And they disappointed you. That's probably one of the most discouraging things in life. Friends, uh, betrayal, of course, we were not even going to go into the disappointment of Judas and what he does to Jesus. But whatever the case, at this darkest moment of his life on earth, as it approached, he, he needed people around him to encourage him, and they slept. And they were, they were sleeping. And there are many reasons why they were sleeping, by the way. I theologically can help them out a little bit if you consider what's going on in this moment and the amount of darkness that was falling upon Jesus as the Father was putting upon him the iniquities or the punishment of us all. And so imagine the darkness surrounding that, what it felt like to have concentrated iniquity from every created being that ever lived, was alive, or would ever live. The stain of sin was being put into Jesus' body as the Father laid hands on him to impart 
that punishment because that's what the lamb was. That's what the high priest would do. He'd lay hands on the lamb and into the lamb would go the iniquity or the radioactive fallout of sin, I call it. The punish part of it would go into the lamb and the lamb would be assassinated and killed and die with those iniquities. Well, Jesus was doing this once and for all. So in that moment, I would, I'm trying to help the disciples out here why they were a disappointment is because they probably, there was such a heaviness there that it was hard for them to stay awake where it says because their eyes were heavy. Uh, and coupling this with the passage in Luke and other places, you'll, you'll see it says that Jesus was thrust into terror, it says, meaning he, in that moment, he entered into a state of extreme stress, so much so that blood burst out of his pores and, and like sweat, it poured off of him. And that's a stressful thing to be around. And so they were exhausted by it. But whatever the case, although there are these reasons, Jesus mentions this in his words, we see that he has a perspective of disappointment in their ability to stand vigil with him in his anguish of heart. Because why would he say, couldn't you just, just, just one hour, man? Just one hour, couldn't you? So he's expressing disappointment. And this is a stage of our development of trust in God that is perhaps the most difficult of moments. As we encounter the trials and difficulties of life, we may find that the people we have trusted and depend upon will fail us. And this means that God is hard at work in these seasons of disappointment to help us. To help us what? To help us trust in God and God alone. Of course, we can trust each other. We love each other. I'll do favors for you. If you need me, call on me. Uh, if I need you, I may call on you. We are here as a family in Christ, and, and I'm available uh, for whatever you need. Uh, but, you know, I'm also a human being, just as you are a human being. So in the process of life, we start to figure things out. And we're going to see more of a solution in a moment. But look at Luke chapter 9. We see another moment where people are disappointing Jesus. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, it throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now, this is another example. Of course, we all know this passage. But to me, it's very clear here that Jesus is disappointed. He expected that they should be able to do something about this. In fact, he had sent them out with authority and power to cast out demons. And they have done it, but in this particular case, for whatever reason, they couldn't. And it's one thing if Jesus had come down and simply said to them, you know, that, oh, it's okay, I got it. But he doesn't. He very specifically says, how long do I have to put up with you? Uh, how long am I going to have to endure this, that you guys are dropping the ball, that you can't do this? And this is Jesus. So he spent 
years, think about what's going on. He spent years, hundreds of hours of teaching and demonstration with his disciples, and yet they couldn't do this one simple thing. So Jesus expresses disappointment with them in their inability to help this boy and his father. So sometimes we see Jesus. In fact, there's many passages. I went and reviewed them all, but I'm not going to pull them all out right now, where Jesus said specifically, how long do I have to be here? And he would say this to the father at times. He would say it to the people at times. And when he was expressing this, I couldn't, I can't help but feel bad for the disciples when you're being told, gosh, how long do I have to put up with you people? And so it would be, you know, I would be embarrassed if I was with you and you're with someone and they told you such a thing. I would want to defend you and help you. But of course, it's Jesus. He's speaking. So Jesus had to deal with this just like we have to deal with this. And often we teach and love people. Uh, this is true of disciples. I've had a lot of disciples, a lot of students through the years, uh, and I've put my whole life into them, put my whole heart. My wife and I, both my wife has spent thousands of hours interacting with people, teaching them, and we've done this through the years, and we've had a lot of these people sometimes just turn around and do something completely opposite from what we counseled and what we recommended. And it's a great disappointment, honestly. It's so frustrating. I remember hearing Catherine Coleman put it like this. Uh, she was preaching and talking about people and the decisions and free will. And she said, you can come to talk to me, Catherine Coleman. And, you know, she's so anointed, such a woman of God. And I can speak to you the counsel of God. I can tell you in the wonderful presence of Jesus everything you should do do and you will feel it and believe it and you will cry and we'll have tea together and it'll be a wonderful time of learning and then you will get up remember i like when she said this you'll get up and you'll go out that door and as soon as you go out of that door you are going to do exactly what you want to do in other words Catherine had found in all of her years of experience teaching a lot of people they just go out and just do whatever they want to do which is their choice but it is something you have to deal with in life uh, a parent has to deal with that with their children sometimes that you tell the child don't do that or do that and they don't so this has to be dealt with and Jesus had the ability to keep himself sane through this all. And even if you are, if you feel deeply discouraged and think that all that you've invested into someone is lost, don't believe that. God counts everything. God sees everything. Just keep, besides, you don't know what's going to happen after that. I think of the scripture that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it that way. It's interesting, it doesn't say when he's young, he won't depart. It says, train up a child when, and when he is old. In other words, when he's young, he's going to depart from it. But later on, and you think about your life, how many times did you learn a lesson from your mother, your father, and their voices are echoing in your mind, but you knew better, so you went out there and did whatever you wanted to do and found out soon enough that they were right. And now, not everything, but there are some things, and you realize, wow. And I have found that true of my father, my mother, my Bible school teacher, my pastor. I remember hearing my pastor say things when I was 17, 18 years old that I thought, oh man, he, he doesn't understand the new generations and all that's going on. But later, I figured out that no, he was accurate. He was very accurate, very right. But I'm sure at times I spoke language that disappointed my pastor. 
I'm sure of it, but I thank God that he knew how not to reject me. And really, in these moments of disappointment, you have to guard your heart. And Jesus did exactly that. So responding to people disappointing you, setting boundaries is very important. Jesus, in John chapter 2, verse 23, John says, And now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, this means that Jesus had a healthy dose of reality about people. And because of that, he had a couple of things that he did. Uh, one was that he understood them. And that's where we really all need to come to the understanding of people, that people are going to disappoint us and people are going to not do what we want them to do. And, and not that they all should, but sometimes they should. But in this particular case, Jesus simply would not entrust himself to them. He drew lines about his interaction, and this deals with contractual understandings. I'll do this for you, you know, and if you do this for me. Jesus was very careful to enter into any deals with people. That's really what it means in the Greek. That he was not looking to strike a deal with somebody. He kept boundaries. He kept a distance to protect everybody, but also to guard his heart. And I understand that. So he was very careful about how he spent his time, or better said, with whom he spent his time. If you notice in his life, as I mentioned a little while ago, he only had three guys that were really close to him, and they let him down too. But he was guarded about how many people came close. Peter and James and John were very important people, the very distinct personalities that are ideal for us to have around us, those kind of personalities. But that's another message. But in this particular case, Jesus did not have a hundred people constantly around him. He walked amongst thousands. He preached. He taught. He did the things he did. But he was very cautious about who he grew intimate with. Mark 145, it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, this is a passage that follows him healing a leper, and he tells the leper, don't tell anybody. So he told the leper not to tell anybody. But the leper went and told anybody, everybody anyway. And as a result, see, Jesus' plan was try to stay incognito, fly under the radar so he could continue to minister to people where? In the city. Nobody wants to be in the wilderness. You would rather be in a city because there's a Circle K there. You know, there's, there's things you need. Uh, there's air-conditioned shopping malls. There's things that make life easier. And it was the same back then. And so Jesus wanted to kind of stay in, in the urban center. And so he asked this leper, please, just don't tell anybody right now. Just, just go show yourself to the priest. Have them give the sign. But no, the leper did exactly the opposite of the counsel of Jesus. And as a result, what did Jesus have to do? He says it. He had to no longer enter a town openly. Suddenly now Jesus becomes this ghost that has to put a hood over his head and sneak around because this person has caused him to become prematurely famous before he could fulfill what he wanted. In other words, the person messed up his plans. Jesus had a plan. This is not the only time, by the way, that he told people, don't tell anybody. And they all did. They all went out. And I understand that they were excited, but 
That's disappointing again, that Jesus tried to get them to do something and they didn't do it. And as a result, look at Jesus, how he responds to this is he simply has to limit his exposure to people. And I think this is a difficult lesson that we go through. Uh, I know there, I see young people all the time that use this word very easily called friends. They believe like Facebook friends are friends, or, uh, but they, they don't understand yet. It's going to take some time. You realize that real friends are rare. And Jesus knew that early on because he knew it was inside of man. He compartmentalized his life and he was cautious. So I'm giving you the solution to the problem in confronting discouragement from people disappointing you. Just be real careful about your expectations of people. There's nothing wrong with expecting people, but don't put a standard on people. Don't give them a test of fellowship. That if you don't do A, B, C, one, two, three, then I won't love you. I won't be. Well, then you are going to find yourself with a whole line of people that you've left in the dust behind you because they didn't meet your standard. And if you think about whatever measure you meet out will be measured to you again, that's a dangerous practice psychologically, mentally, emotionally to take people and standardize what they're supposed to be you need to be a lot more gracious, understanding, and careful. And in this case, also limit. Limit who you can get close to. We'll go to the next one. Uh, and another great source of discouragement is people misunderstanding you. How many of you have had people totally misunderstand your intent? Uh, this is real easy these days because we use these uh, message apps and People can read. They can't hear you talking. And I can say one word a thousand different ways and mean totally different things. If I just said your name, if your name is Matthews, I can say Matthews. And you immediately know what I mean by that. Why? By the intonation. But what if I said Matthews? Okay, that's totally something different, isn't it? That means it's just something about Matthews. Uh, like, you know, it says so much. Matthews? Like, I'm not sure if it even is him. So it depends on the name. If I say Caleb, that's jovial, that's kind, but if I say Caleb, or if I say Caleb, see, hate comes out. You can't do that in a message. And this is where people and the devil loves those messages because he can turn you against people and people against you by misunderstanding the real point of their communication. And if you have been frequently misunderstood or have been at odds with people, you have a tendency to interpret everything in a negative perspective. And you have these negative glasses on that sees everything. And it, it means this. And, you know, of course, people don't always know how to communicate properly. I know people who write me in all upper caps and it's like they're screaming at me. You know, it's like, would you stop yelling? They're not yelling. They just, they, it's easier for them to type that way or something. I don't know. You may do that. I don't know. Uh, my dear friend, Myra Fernandez does that. She writes me in all caps. And it's like, every time I read her message, it's like, Stephen! You know, it's like she's yelling at me. Pray for me! Here in Mumbai! And it's like, it's all these big, it's like. So anyway, that's all part of how easy it is to misunderstand people. I've gotten messages from people before that were, were meant kindly. But if you if before deciding what they mean, talk to them in person. 
and sometimes it's better. I have some friends actually only record messages, audio, and send them to me. So there'll be like several of them, and I listen to them one at a time. Uh, Ricky does that from Germany. When he wants to talk to me, he'll send me a bunch of audio messages. I love it because I get all of the flavor of it. But at the same time, I'm not obligated to a phone call because I also don't like phone calls. But I do like hearing the voice. <laughs> so if you want me to understand you clearly, you can do that. But people misunderstand people. And Jesus was misunderstood frequently. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now this is interesting because, you know, this is Jesus, creator of the universe in a human form, albeit young. He still did not have any malice He's not doing something wrong. He, do you think in any way, shape, or form Jesus made a decision to hurt his parents? Or that he made a choice knowingly that they were going to be so stressed and freak out? No, he just went about what he felt comfortable doing. He did it. He was okay with this. Apparently, Father God was okay with this. So Father in Heaven allowed this to happen, and it makes it into the Gospel in this story. But really, why didn't they understand? Because they did not have his perspective. So it was very easy to misunderstand him. And he was misunderstood. And this happens in life. There's not, not, if, if, yes, you could say, well, Jesus was kind of wrong. And if you and I had done this, we would have gotten our bottoms whipped, or we would have gotten in trouble or punished if our parents were forced to worry like that. I mean, I've lost my child before for very short moments, but not three days. I would have been totally freaking out. I, have, I lost one child in, in, a, in a warehouse, um, this big shopping thing. This little, we had a toddler. I think, it, I, don't know, I think it was Tony at the time. And he was wandering around, and we were shopping, putting things in the cart. And just that quick, he went around a corner and vanished. I'm starting to look all over the store. Can't find him. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm grabbing the manager by the shoulders, like, shut this place down, you know, because I'm in Acapulco. So I'm scared. It's a very sinful place. I'm rushing all around frantically. And the manager was cooperative. They all are parents. They understand. So they did. They actually shut and stood guard. They let no one out of the store store all the entrances until we found the child. I ran out in the parking lot and there he is at the side of my vehicle in the parking lot standing by the door. He wandered all the way out there and my heart melted. 
Even worse case one time, we had a baptism at an orphanage. It's a true story. We had a baptism at an orphanage that had a swimming pool. So we went out there and I left and I thought somehow, because my wife was separate from me or something like that, I thought that my son was with her and he was not and I left. I left my child at an orphanage in Mexico and was really driving away when I got a phone call on my cellular phone saying that, um, where's your son? Huh? And they were teasing me because thank God they were church people still at the orphanage. And that was the biggest joke for the longest time. But I can't imagine what they were going through at this moment that Jesus, the Messiah, they knew he was the Messiah. At least they suspected it. They guarded it in their hearts. They were given this precious job as custodians of Jesus, the Messiah, protect him at all costs. And now they've lost him and they're scared. But they, of course, do not understand this. But Jesus tells them, he stopped. Uh, in this moment, he, he is realizing who he is. He's coming into it. He has perfect clarity about his function, but they cannot understand. And it's common for us when we gain a vision, we have a dream and an understanding of something God wants us to do that other people will not understand it. I see it all the time, the aforementioned young people in Gua Musang that are coming to know Jesus and they want to know Jesus with all their heart, but they cannot easily just go to their parents because the parents will not understand that. And they can't just go and say, I'm sorry, I'm no longer Hindu. I'm no longer the religion of you. I'm Christian now. That, that can be a very difficult moment because there's no way we can expect them to understand that. And so we see these issues that we all have to face when we're going through this, and it can be a discouraging moment in life. Now, in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, we see again, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Another translation is they went to take him by force, because that's what it says in the Greek. So they think that Jesus has gone crazy, and the family is doing an intervention to go and take him by force, to arrest him and take him and commit him and protect him, because he's out of his mind. In other words, he's insane. How many of you know they were misunderstanding Jesus? Again, his family. Now, I like that the very next verse says, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So first his family misunderstands him, and then the religious leaders of his day misunderstand him. Nobody is comprehending who he is or what he's doing, and it's a very difficult moment in anybody's life when you go through that. So right after that, these leaders, I like the way they said it. So people are going to misunderstand you sometimes. And they won't comprehend your purpose or your ideas or your plans. Uh, they will call into question what you're doing. And they'll say, who do you think you are? And why are you doing this? It's like Joseph and his brothers. Remember, Joseph had the dream from God, but his brothers totally misunderstood that. But in that case, the misunderstanding and aggression that came from it actually played part in Joseph realizing those very dreams. So part of the discouragement of misunderstanding, we can know that if nobody else understands, God understands. The Father was never confused about Jesus, ever. The Father is never confused about you. 
So when you go through these trials, you're going to find again and again the solution is going to be being grounded in the Father. Now, of course, there is sometimes when people misunderstand you, there one of the responses is responding to people misunderstanding you is bringing correction and redirection. And that's exactly what Jesus tries to do. Right after those those religious leaders say that he's casting out um, the devil by the power of the devil, he says, so it says, so Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? Now, he did not owe them this explanation, but he wants to help them understand what they've misunderstood. So part of our reaction is just like Jesus. Somebody misunderstands you. Take the time to say, wait a minute, time out. I need to explain to you my perspective. And sometimes people will listen to you, sometimes people will not. In, in a breakdown of relationships, it's often just a misunderstanding. And until you have a moment to talk with them about it, they will never comprehend that. And sometimes we are so it's so easy for us just to close everything out that we do not explain it, so we just end up dividing from people, when if we did sit and explain and talk with clarity, we probably could heal that relationship. In this particular case, they did not listen to Jesus. They still said he had Beelzebub. And they still wanted to kill him. And it was very difficult. So he dealt with it by simply trying to explain. That's all you can do. But you're always going to, you're going to be misunderstood in life. That's just the way it is. Try to be as clear as you can. But as you confront that, don't be discouraged if people don't understand you. Understand that God is going to have his way anyway. Uh, people rejecting you. This is a big one. One of the greatest discouragements in life come when people reject you. And we all think about the spirit of rejection. And some people suffer from that. John chapter 1 verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Uh, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now it says very clearly his own did not receive him. Uh, this was part of the entire purpose of Jesus. He came to represent the Father to us, but humanity simply could not receive him. Now some did, it says, and the ones that did receive him as he was, he gave them the right to become the children of God. He brought them into relationship with him. But there are many more who did not believe than believed, just like it is to this day. There are a lot more people on earth that do not believe in Jesus than believe in Jesus. And no matter how hard we try to describe that to them or tell them they do not, they reject the message. If we carry the message, they reject us because we carry the message. And that's just part and parcel of what we have to live. That's the persecution that we have to live through. And it happens in life. Jesus went through it. And really, rejection is an, an inevitable part of life for us. And how we react to that rejection is determined by what we believe about God and ourselves. So Jesus can teach us how to deal with the rejection. Luke 9, 51, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead 
who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked the Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Of course, this is funny, but not funny. The rejection of the people at this village was seen by the people around Jesus, his people here, as a reason to form an aggressive response and anger. Because that's what happens when you reject. What happens when you get rejected? You get angry. And you want to fight back. Or you get hurt. Sometimes you're, you're um, uh, heard it said like this, anger turned inward is depression. If you Sometimes if you swallow your anger, it actually will cause you to become depressed. Sometimes it's better to vent it out, but even then we see here that the disciples did that, but Jesus did not see it as something that should be done. So part of the, the reaction that we see, and I want to say a little bit about that, we suffer rejection. Uh, for whatever reason, we, we tend to get hurt and we want to seek revenge. And uh, I think of that old Stephen King movie, Carrie, years ago with the girl. And they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. And she, she's, her mother was insane and sent her and they dumped blood on top of her. And she had these powers. And a weird movie. But that girl that, that was rejected. You know, those movies always touch me because I was rejected when I was young. Because I was very unattractive, very overweight, and I was the kid that was made fun of. I was very poor. I was like the far end. This is the guy everybody picked on because I was a target, which is fine. I'm, I'm over it, but I understand the feelings that come into you. You want to fight back. You want to be aggressive. You want to hate as a result. But Jesus, in this case, was rejected by people. But we go through this. Rejection is never a reason to reject. And then this is the real key. Can you accept rejection but not reject people because they rejected you? If you can do that, then you are a magician. You're also free from a spirit of rejection. And Jesus was able to do this. Uh, so a spirit of rejection works through your fleshly response to rejection. If you refuse to reject people because they reject you, then the spirit cannot take hold. If you love them anyway, like Jesus, they know not what they do. You know, Father, forgive them. He had an ability to just not, even though they hurt him or they rejected him, he had an ability to understand. Now, in this particular case, he had to, the response to be rejecting you is realize your identity in the Father. Mark one thirty-five. very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is one of the main keys of the success of Jesus. He was constantly recalibrating who he was and what he was in prayer. And I find that if we pray and we are in communication with the Father, our identity in him is so clear that no matter who rejects us or whatever they say, it's irrelevant to us because we know on our side, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have the creator of the universe on our side. He loves us, accepts us as we are, and there's a certain confidence that arises out of that that you have no worries. So reject me. I don't care. I'm fine. I, when I sit in the MRT and there's a seat next to me, very often nobody wants to sit there because I'm a big man sitting there, and often I'm a foreigner, and I know the look in the eyes when they walk in and see the big Angmo and they make that face like I don't want to sit next to that I'm like fine I just spread my butt cheek out a little wider I get comfortable 
You want to sit? I tightened up. I gave you, I'm trying to, but I, I, there was a time that would have hurt me. And I thought, well, you want to sit next to me? What's wrong with me? And so now I'm like, whatever, man, I'm comfortable. I'm fine. I'll spread out and get comfortable. But there's issues like that. People, you know, I've often, I've been at a table in a food court and there's room for someone to sit and they're looking around, you know, and, and I offer it and they're like, they keep going. It's like, I'm going to throw my locks at them. I wouldn't do that. Of course, because I know whatever, it doesn't matter. But there are people who get offended by that kind of thing. Jesus kept his identity connected to the Father at all times, and he was comfortable. Also, Luke 9, 55, Jesus turned and rebuked him. This is his response to them wanting to call fire down in that village. He rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. That's all. This is really the easiest way to deal with the rejection of people is simply let them reject you. Fine. That's fine. Jesus was okay with it. I'll go somewhere else. They rejected him in that village. How many of you know that whatever the other village was that he went to was blessed that day? That Jesus went there. So that means in your life, if people reject you, it's okay. There are people who are going to receive you. Just keep looking until you find the ones that you are meant to connect to. And they will be there. And they do need your help. And they will receive things from you. And that's the final one we're going to go through this. People threatening you. Uh, this is a little more extreme, but it is a reason to be discouraged. I've lived through this because I've lived in countries where uh, I've been persecuted because of naming the name of Jesus, where I've been threatened and, and they told me they're going to hurt me or hurt my family, um, threatened through shoot guns over our head and stuff like that. And that's a scary moment and it can be very discouraging and i went through it but i realized wow if if i went through that that's exactly what jesus had to go through that's what paul went through that's what the people in the bible and i i did not go through half of what they went through but i have had some dark moments that are very discouraging and i thought about jesus in matthew two thirteen, when they had gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to egypt Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This is interesting that from even before Jesus was born, he was under threat. Before he ever was born, already a death sentence was put upon him. Mark 3, 5 says he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now at this point, Jesus has been challenged about healing. Basically, they're saying, if you heal this guy, that's it. We're coming after you. And Jesus realized that it's more important that they keep a law than this person get healed. And that's why he's angry at them. So he heals him anyway in front of them. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. So the people that surrounded Jesus wanted him dead all the time. Mark 1, 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded your, uh, for your cleansing as a testimony. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And this is why he could not walk about anymore. He could not be free. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Heard what? Jesus said, today 
this scripture is fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me. And in other words, he was saying, I am the Messiah. And then he also said, uh, the scripture says that you'll say to your own, a prophet is not without honor, but with his own people. You'll say, physician, heal yourself, which they knew was a messianic prophecy. And so that they got furious at him and absolutely wanted to destroy him, where it says that they got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So this is a threat. Now, all the, the, at this announcement he made, they wanted to kill him. Life is full of threats. Uh, people are going to threaten us. Actually, there are a lot of issues that threaten us besides people, too. Uh, a diagnosis from a doctor can be a threat. A doctor will tell you something about your body or say that you have... Doctors are good at saying this is how much time you have left to live or uh, they don't know that. There's no way they can know that because God is bigger unless you absolutely accept those threats and you allow them to discourage you. I've counseled a lot of people that have been told they're not supposed to live and have been told they cannot be healed and have been cursed by doctors and I've counseled them to believe and if they believe and their faith is enacted According to their faith, they're healed. And so discouragement, even threat of death, we can overcome if we trust the Lord. And as I say, life is full of threats. Life will always threaten you with many reasons. Uh, maybe you're going to lose your job, maybe the economy, whatever it is. But you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous King and intercessor. He's always on your side. So now that we've seen all these reasons why we understand see responding to the people threatening you i say stay focused on your purpose luke 4 28 but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way that was his response to them throwing him off the hill they were about to but i like the wording he walked right through the crowd and went on his way that sometimes we just have to do that just just go on your way do what you've been called to do and just leave them. I have been threatened by people before. I did not stop what I was doing in Mexico when they threatened me. I did not stop what I was doing in India. In India, I just become more stealthful and careful about how I did it and who I did it in front of, just like Jesus, same thing. And as a result, I was able to be there for the years that I was there without really any serious incidences. Uh, some close calls but I managed, and I actually had people that protected us too. I had one particular sister, uh, Sister Pushpa. She was a Catholic nun who was uh, originally one of Mother Teresa's disciples. And she was a really cool lady. Told me a lot of fascinating things about Mother Teresa. I remember, forget, because I was so curious, right? I wanted to know, what was Mother Teresa right? And she said she was a tyrant. That's the words out of her mouth. She was a tyrant. I said, what She said, to, if you were sick and dying, the most precious angel you ever met. If you work for her, a tyrant. She said, that woman, and she told me the totally unexpected story about Mother Teresa. But I get it. Mother Teresa had a mission. If you wanted to count yourself of her order, you had to be her. And that is good discipleship. But she said it was hard. She said, I couldn't last very long. She, she only lasted it for a while with her and then ended up going off in a different uh, order because it was just so difficult. But really cool woman. 
I never forget one time sitting in her living room and she had a harmonium. You know what a harmonium is? It's a little pumpy organ thing that you play that they play in India. And I was playing it and singing a worship song. And I was talking to her about Jesus and she felt the presence of God. She very simply said, I, I don't know Jesus like this. I was like, wow. I said, would you can? She said, no, I'm okay. I remember thinking, okay, because the Holy Spirit was there. She was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> really funny. But very honest woman. But anyway, that woman protected. Uh, they, were they went to her and asked. They tried to trick her into telling people that I was a pastor. And because that's all they needed to know. If they found I was a pastor, then that got back to the people that, that were aggressive to Christians. They would have come and absolutely reported me to the government, found a way to get me out. That's what they wanted to do. But I was able to hide. So, yeah, I was under threat, but I did what Jesus did. I walked right through the crowd, went on my way. I just did what God called me. Just keep your, your nose focused in your own business and just keep going forward. Don't worry about people. That guy that would threaten us in Mexico all the time and shoot the guns and yell and curse me and call me all kinds of foul things, I wouldn't even look at him. I just walked straight through, my head down, walked straight through. And that, that went on for weeks and weeks daily. It was I felt sick every time I had to walk through the car park because I knew he would be there. It's like he waited for me. He would wait. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, and he starts screaming these nasty things, calling me a male whore, and just a really bad word they used to describe that. Horrible in front of my wife. And I just, it was like constantly, it was part of what caused the work to grow and the visitation of the Spirit to come. There had to be a crucifixion first, somebody had to die. And it was a long period of miserable death that preceded the coming of the Holy Spirit in 1995. Threat was there. But I did. I stayed focused on my purpose. I just stay focused, stay focused. I did exactly what God called me to do, and God rewarded it. Luke 2, um, 49 says, did you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's what Jesus responded when his parents said, why did you do this to us? Because Jesus understood his position. He had to live his purpose. Matthew 2.13. And we're going to end with this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. I'll stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This is exactly what God will do for you. He will tell you exactly what to do so you're safe until the time comes so just listen to the spirit of the lord and, and if there is threatening situations you're in don't be discouraged just follow the lord amen so it's fun to look at jesus and see these examples we saw discouragement dealing with it four categories of discouragement to overcome people disappointing you people misunderstanding you people rejecting you and people threatening you in life now there are other sources of discouragement no doubt but these are categorically are the ones that I saw in the life of Jesus and how he dealt with them the people disappointed him of course but he continued to do his mission he stayed focused through it all people misunderstanding him he tried to explain to them tried to teach them how can Satan cast out Satan he did his very best that's all you can do uh, people rejected him just like they will reject us 
but don't reject because you've been rejected because you don't want to give that spirit a stronghold in your life. It will come and rule you and you'll always be under it. I meet people with a spirit of rejection and I can tell that they just can't, they can't stand being rejected. Nobody wants to be rejected, but just ignore it. Be comfortable in your purpose and your identity with the Father and don't worry about it. And uh, people threatening you. If people threaten you, just be careful. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and just live your life for Jesus, dealing with discouragement. Follow the example of, of Jesus. Amen? I hope some of this may have been of some advantage to you as you go on in life. Of course, the key is prayer. Always pray. Just, just go plug into heaven. Talk to the Father, and no matter how big of an issue or problem arises in life, there's just something that happens in the presence of God. And we deal with it. Sometimes we don't do that. We just carry the burden, and we, we hold on to it. When all we need to do is bring it to Jesus. Just bring it to Jesus. Amen?